Welcome to the Roaming Roots Podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. Uh, you are listening to a bit of an experiment. Um, Philadelphia family, Brent Friedland and Abby Perkis, and their two children, Zoe and Simon, have set out in late 2023 for a seventh-month trip around the world. Their, uh, their destinations, where they're going, how long they're staying is not really super set. And we decided to chat every once in a while and catch up on their trip and see how it's going. So glad you're listening to Roaming Roots. Sit back and relax. This is our first episode and more will follow. Thanks for being here. So whose idea was the trip? <laughs> That's the way to start. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. We've been talking about this trip for over a decade. Um, before we had kids, we used to take month-long backpacking trips. Um, you know, we both have, since, we known each, since we've known each other, been on an academic schedule. So we have had the flexibility in the summers to, to create the space for that. Um, and on one of those trips, we started talking about the possibility of it. And I know around 2014, we found Lonely Planet the World in a bookstore. Um, and I think that. So it's always been kind of just kind of hovering in the background. Yeah, that was an anchor point for it. I don't know if that was like the right. definitive, this is the idea, but. That was yeah. pretty much the fact that, and, and obviously I think this is a, uh, and, and once again, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts and walk me towards away from it. This, this trip, and we'll talk about the, what the actual trip is in a second, right? Right. For, for, for posterity, we should talk about what the, what the, the goal is. But it sounds like this is like really kind of a natural outgrowth of who the two of you are and you have been since you've known each other. Like this is just the next thing that you guys are going to do, as opposed to some couples that and you see it all the time on the Internet. Like we're going to do this trip and it's going to be this massive life changing thing. We're leaving our we're having a massive change to our lives. We're now going to do this thing. This is always kind of lived in your DNA. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, definitely. I mean, I. I started traveling internationally in, well, technically before eighth grade, but eighth grade is when I really first, my first kind of, I guess it's when I first feel like I really went overseas for the first time. Where was that? And Where'd you go? I went to Italy on a school program. And I think from there on, there was a stretch where I spent time overseas for at least a few weeks, just about every year for a decade or so. And I think by the time I was 25 or 30, I think I had figured I had spent about three to four years of my life overseas. Got it. Um, Got it. So for, for me, it absolutely felt that way. I don't know how you feel about it, but yeah. I, I had some catching up to do, um, but it very quickly became part of our relationship together um, and something I think that we both created together from our own different experiences. I had traveled some in more organized ways. Um, I had been to Europe once before we met. I had been to Latin America a few times, but I, I didn't have the same expanse of travel experience that Brent what, had. What was your first overseas trip when you were younger? Um, that's a good question. What do we count as overseas? Um, we'll do it two ways. We'll do the so for, I'll give you how I would answer by saying when I went to Ireland when I was five, but that barely counts, right? I mean, five years old in Ireland, you're basically a paperweight parent, parents carrying you around. So like, what's the, what was your first um, trip overseas that you would call, you would consider to be travel as opposed to just visiting? So my junior year of college, I visited a friend in London who was studying abroad. And that was my first time traveling on my own. I think before that I had done some swimming. I, I was a competitive swimmer. So I, I went to swimming camps in the Caribbean um, 
and I had spent time in El Salvador doing some solidarity work, but, but the London trip was kind of the first quote unquote adult travel experience. Gotcha. 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 So, so, so now that I have a sense of your, 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 uh, uh, your lineage leading into this, let's right word to use, but you know what I mean? Like, so tell us, tell me about the trip. Where are you going? What are you doing? What's the plan? Well, <laughs> we had a really relatively well laid out plan before October. And the original plan was to fly into Europe, which was um, in part, at least a product of the fact that we're going to travel for about two and a half weeks with Abby's family. Um, You know, there's several, um, I think family, you know, birthdays and other kind of occasions to celebrate. And it's a good way to also say goodbye to Abby's family who we um, live in very close proximity to and see all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that felt like a fitting way to start the trip and Europe felt like a good place to do that. So we start in Portugal and Spain. We're actually going over about a week early ourselves to just kind of get our feet wet and get the kids acclimated in terms of time zones and such. And then, uh, we will say goodbye to them, uh, uh, toward the end of I guess mid-December. Right before Christmas. Yeah, kind of mid mid, late December just before Christmas. We're gonna say goodbye to them and really start um the trip in full uh by crossing into Morocco. Um from there it gets murky. We were uh after Morocco going to go to the Middle East for several weeks, or sorry, several months. Um and then how are we gonna get there? Are you gonna fly? Yeah. 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 The original vision was to do a much more, um, kind of old fashioned overland trip, but you quickly find, and then I knew that we weren't going to get through Libya, um, on the ground, but I actually imagined us potentially going through Tunisia and Algeria and found that, um, you know, while both countries, I think are relatively okay to travel. in, if you go there directly crossing the borders is not actually a particularly great plan. And, impossible um to some degree um and then you also quickly start realizing you just i mean seven months sounds like a long time it's it's really not that long so mm-hmm. you start looking at covering some of these countries um and the distance of a continent like africa on mm-hmm. land you realize you just don't have time to do the justice so mm-hmm. we were going to fly from morocco over toward egypt spend several months in the middle eastern region then leapfrog down um, for similar reasons traveling overland out of that area wasn't feasible mm-hmm. you're going to go down toward eastern africa and spend a fair bit of time there and then kind of leapfrog down to southern africa and wrap up there and now with the turmoil in the middle east several months of the trip is very much up in the air mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're looking to pivot toward Asia at this point. Got it. Got it. Got it. So when you were, when you were, there was no thought of, well, obviously with the Middle East being off the table, did you ever consider going by boat through the Mediterranean and going like through Sicily, Greece, and then Turkey and dropping in the Middle East? That ever, was that ever on your thought or was it always going to be either overland or, or in the air? It's a great question. We, we did not talk about a Mediterranean boat option. Um, I will say that, you know, uh, I traveled pretty extensively kind of in the developing world as a younger person. And um, Abby and I did a little bit of that together after getting married in in South America, but have really since been focused on Europe, um, both as a couple, but then, you know, once we did start finally traveling with our kids, with our kids, um, and also through the adventure racing that we do, we've, we've kind of done some trips to Europe. 
Um, and I think we both felt really strongly that we wanted this trip to um, feel different. Feel different. Yeah, that we really wanted to expose um, ourselves to other parts of the world and really expose our kids to other parts of the world outside of Europe. So now, um, so you're you're Portugal and Portugal and Spain. That's definitely, definitely Morocco. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then I think over towards Southeast Asia, um, maybe the Himalayan region as well for a bit. Okay. And then back toward Eastern Africa and Southern Africa. I think we still want to make sure we we do spend some time on the Sub-Saharan African continent. Gotcha. When we, when we first started envisioning seven months abroad, seven months to a year, we weren't sure exactly whether it was going to be a semester or a full year. Um, we had kind of three plans laid out, three routes. One of them was traversing Latin America, north to south or south to north. Um, the other one was the Middle East and and down to South Africa. And then the third was some overland trip through Asia. Um, mm-hmm. And Latin America felt familiar to both of us in a way that um, would have been like welcoming, but also I think we wanted something a little bit right. different. Right. And Kent had traveled to some extent in Middle East and Africa. I had not. Um, and then Asia was not a place that either of us had traveled. So as kind of the middle ground, we landed on, on the Africa route, but I I have to say Asia was my kind of the one I got most excited about on first blush. So I'm pretty happy that, you know, circumstances aside, we're now ending up being able to combine those two. Well, right. I mean, the idea being that the, 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 the situation, in, in the Middle East has forced you to rethink yourself. And obviously going overland from Morocco down to, down to Southern Africa, that's a hell of a trip, right? That's a big, that's a, that's a big tough trip with three kids, with two kids, the four of you and, and managing all of that. So pivoting to, to, to Asia is, it clearly makes a lot of sense there. And I, and I, I like the idea that for as much information as you have travel you've done personally, the fact that you're going to a brand new region, it's, it feels like you're kind of scratching the itch of new. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you laugh, you laugh. Right. And 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 if this ever if this ever makes it the light of day, so be it. And but the point being, like, it's amazing how the world for as big as it is sometimes feels small. Yeah. Right. If you've been to certain places and, and obviously what it, what 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 writers would say is we're well, just not looking hard enough for the new. Right. You, yeah. you think you've seen everything, but in reality, you haven't. So yeah. so you say you go into Southeast Asia and you mentioned the, the Himalaya and, and all that. But like Southeast Asia is, is a I have a map up here while we're talking. Big chunk of property. Right. And so so have you how much of this trip is planned out versus fly by the seat of your pants? Like when you were in Morocco and you, you know, go to Morocco, and you go to Casablanca, maybe you peek at the Atlas Mountains. Who knows? You go to Marrakesh. It's now time to go to Asia. Are you going to basically. I'm being dramatic here. Are you going to go to the airport and be like, we're going to go there and you're going to figure it out? Or are you just going to you're going to say, listen, we're going to spend a week planning our trip to Bangladesh, Miramar, Thailand, Vietnam. Like, what is the, how are you going to approach that? You can go. Um, I think we, we're doing a combination of the two, you know, at this point, and Brent has taken lead on a lot of the micro planning of the trip. Um, we have Morocco pretty well mapped out kind of mm-hmm. a day-to-day geographic itinerary, if not activity itinerary. And what is that, by the way? Before we get to Asia, what is what is Morocco? I don't want to skip over the first part of the trip. Like, so you mentioned Portugal and Spain. That's with the family, right? That's that's for the that's and that's your 
your little taste of Europe, right? You're going that far, you're going to Europe. And, and so with all due respect to our Portuguese and Spanish listeners, we're going to kind of hop over that and go into Morocco. So what's the plan in Morocco? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, kind of a, you know, in a way like a, I mean, grand tour is dramatic. We're not going to hit everything. I think we're looking at roughly four weeks in the country, uh, but we're, we're crossing into the country through the Strait of Gibraltar and right. then basically traveling south through the country. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that, you know, Abby and I are wired a little bit differently. I think I'm more of a, like, arrive in a place and walk around till you find a place to sleep. Right. Um, Which worked when we were 25. Yeah. Um, and didn't have kids with us. Right, right, right. But that doesn't, yeah, that does not feel like the way to do it for this trip for us. You know, I think there's no right way to do these things, but, um, and there's something really wonderful and I think magical about it. And I have a feeling we will, my gut is we will decide, we haven't really talked about this, but I suspect at some point we will decide to intentionally do that. You know, Simon, four years old, uh, I don't know that there's much he's going to get out of that experience, but Zoe actually might get quite a bit. And I think there's like actually some cool opportunities to have her um, have some agency and help plan a trip. Right. You know, at a certain point, once we get our, you know, kind of, you know, our bearings and such on what this is going to look like in terms of the day to day travel. And she gets a feel for how things work in terms of getting off of a train and finding your way into downtown, wherever you might be, like, let her actually have a hand in some of that planning. So um, for, for, for posterity. And, and so, we, so how old is Zoe going to be when the trip starts? She's nine and a half. Nine and a half. Um, and how old is Simon? He's four and a half. And okay. both of them are carrying their own backpacks in relative terms. Zoe's carrying all of her stuff, but no kind of communal gear. Simon has what well, he has all of his clothes, right? His clothes, um, yeah. Is what we currently have him packed with. Yeah. So they, they need to um just like we do, right? We're both carrying very large packs. So we mm -hmm. all need to build up our stamina in terms of in terms of hauling gear as we as we go. And I think to Brent's point. Once we get our proverbial sea legs, there will be a, a little bit more opportunity for um, adapting on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we also, you know, the original question of kind of the planning kind of realized relatively early on, I did a fair bit of planning back well before the fall, uh, you know, probably, I guess, um, late spring, early summer, I was doing quite a bit of just basic leg work. And, um, you know, during that kind of just came to the realization that for us, for our family, I think sticking to the beaten path as much as we like going off of it normally is the way to go. And we will find ourselves branching off of that naturally, I'm sure. But with a four and a nine-year-old, like we don't need to, we don't feel the need to do something totally crazy and wild, right? You know, right. so, at so a some might argue that what we're doing is totally sure. Well, as well, well, to your point, right, Abby, the I idea that it's that, that crazy and wild is all relative term, yeah. right? Yeah. And there are some families that don't take their kids to the park, right? right? As opposed to taking their kids overseas. Right. Yeah. I was just talking to a buddy who was like, Morocco is the hardest place I've traveled. I was like, really? <laughs> is, is it really? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So like, you know, we're going to hit a lot of the kind of like, you know, big towns, big cities, big places that you would expect to go if you were going to a place and, and then fill in from there. You know, I think we also are trying to balance, um, you know, probably like Abby's inclination to take things a little bit slower Whereas I'm more of the like, go, go, go. We got to see everything, do everything, which is not reasonable for a family of four for seven months. Like we will burn out very quickly. So right. 
You got to pace yourself. Yeah. And try to, I think we've tried to establish just some like basic ground rules, which even those might be too aggressive, but kind of saying like minimum of three nights as much as possible, if not longer, um, there will be some exceptions, but, you know, really try to avoid that. Like three full nights in one place in one part of a town. Right. Yeah. Rather than the like mentality that a lot of backpackers have of one to two days and you move on. Yeah. 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 I think is that we will, that, that will be fatiguing relatively quickly for the kids. Um, but it feels like not a conversation to have in advance. Like we we will figure out when the temperature gets too high. Yeah. Right. You want to go get in country and sort of figure it out along the way and get a sense for them. Yeah. So, so, so into the, into the, 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 first off, thanks for sharing that the kids are carrying their own backpacks, right? That's an interesting dynamic that they're, that there's agency, right? That mm-hmm. your back, your backpack is, it's also symbolic and it's practical, your stuff's in it, but also the fact that you're, you're, you're caring for yourself. Right. And um, I, I have no, knowing your children, I have no doubt that that's a, a big thing that they will have naturally by being your children of the idea of, having some sense of locus of control over themselves. Looking here at Morocco. Right in that too. Yes. Oh yeah. And the fact that you could, you know, I, you know, I always say, if you want to, if you want to have self-esteem, commit esteemable acts, mm. right. You want to feel good yeah. about yourself, go do good stuff and being able to carry your own stuff and taking that pride speaks to that. I should, uh-huh. I, I just want to note though, that this sounds all really wonderful and philosophically delightful. And Simon loves tromping around in his backpack from mm-hmm. the room where his backpack has been packed to the bathroom. Right. He make it up the stairs. Once he hits the staircase. <laughs> well, last time he hit the staircase with me, it was a very quick, like I'm done. I can't, I right. can't go further. So this all sounds good. And a block away from the train station, we're going to be having our first fight over Simon carrying his backpack. And right. yeah, it might know. pull down to his backpack might, might have like, a water bottle in it, right? Like you yeah. get a backpack, you get a backpack right. on. Technically speaking, if we, yeah. if we speak, to, if we speak to the referee, he's carrying yeah. a backpack. Um, yeah. Uh, so you know, Morocco, funky place, right? Uh, you sit right on the Atlantic Ocean. You have the Atlas Mountains there. You, you, you're talking a lot of time there. What's the? I'm looking at the map right now. What's the r- the rough route of Morocco? Um, we're gonna go into Tangiers. We're mm-hmm. gonna cross straight into Tangiers from Tarifa on the Spanish side mm-hmm. and then work our way south ultimately to there's a town that we're going to hit before Rabat but Rabat is where, where I'm sorry Fez is where Fez. we'll have our first kind of longer stay inland, um, inland. so we will be there for five to seven days and then kind of start working our way southwest what's the name of the town well, yeah, we're, we're, you know, pronunciation, I'm excited to get over there to actually talk to people that live there to figure out how to pronounce some things a little bit more appropriately. Um, there's a town southeast of Tangiers, I think it's called like Chefchoun or Chefchoun, um, that sounds pretty wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's on kind of the major travel circuit, I think. Yeah, it's, um, on, it's on R412. That's the road that runs right through it. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like it's a great base for, it sounds like it's a beautiful town with an old Medina and then also just a, a good hub for some mm-hmm. um, some some hiking. Um, you're oh, it's not beautiful. It's right in the mountains. Yeah, I'm, you know, with the, the, the gift of Google Earth and Google Maps, I'm looking at pictures right. of it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it looks like a pretty great place to to kind of get our feet wet in Morocco properly. And then, yeah, we'll travel down to Fez and then kind of sw- swing west toward the coast. Um, we're debating between probably choosing between Rabat and Casablanca um, and uh, then working our way down to Marrakesh. 
um, spending some time in the desert. And I think just being open-minded in Marrakesh, you know, obviously um, for anyone that was kind of paying attention to the news this past Mm -hmm. summer. So right. Marrakesh is still recovering from the large earthquake that they, they um, experienced. So we're not quite sure what we'll find there in terms of uh, what it's like to travel there. But um, you know, the nice thing about, I think, kind of what we're trying to do and what some of our goals are, um, you know, if the tourist, traditional tourist infrastructure is not really available, you know, there might be some other things that we can do that will, you know, serve as a good learning experience for for our family. And maybe there's also opportunities to actually get involved in something uh, aimed toward relief or whatever it might be that's still going on. So you bring up a good question, the idea of the traditional tourist, tourist things to do and your visit, like what is your, what is your travel style? Is it like, do you go into a city and do you spend time embedding yourself in the city to get to know the people? Do you find the top three, four, five things? I mean, it's, I mean, Casablanca, I mean, um, Morocco's is mosque, is mosque central, right? Every single picture is beautiful mosques are there. Like what's the, what's your rough plan for that? Is it, is it get to know the guy who owns the fruit stand? Is it like, what's the, how do you look at it? Uh, yeah, I, I I think like a lot of things we've already been saying, I think just a kind of an open mindedness and a, and a combination. Right. I mean, I think when Abby and I have traveled in the past and we have, you know, relatively full schedules, it, it does tend to be a little bit more of the see as much as you can philosophy. And I think, you know, we'll still try to see see things. But also with our kids, we can't push them to the same level, which we would push ourselves or honestly, if I'm being honest, that I might push everybody. Right. <laughs> um, it's all about it's all getting to know yourself, Brent. Give you credit. Yeah, right? You're, you're going yeah. on a trip, right? You, you recognize where you are. Yeah. And I'm sure there will be places where we do push, right? And then there'll be other times where we don't. But I think one of the things that I'm actually both terrified about and also really excited about is... Um, you know, part of this trip is also going to be geared toward homeschooling, right? Mm-hmm. You know, our kids are right by That's my next question. Okay. in school and they're doing it basically with us. And, um, you know, thankfully we really have an incredible amount of freedom over what we do. Um, you know, so we're not really bound to anything, which is exciting because it means we can really gear their daily educational work toward whatever we see or do. Um, and I'm sure we will kind of let that guide what we do sometimes. Um, Abby and I, you want to just talk about like also the, all the walking we do, cause I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, my favorite way of moving in the world is on foot. Um, whether that's running or hiking or walking through cities. And I think that it's something that we share as a, as a unit. And then mm-hmm. also it's something that our kids have learned to, um, I think, again, like sometimes it's hard in the moment, but they also get to the end of the day and they're like, wow, look how far we went. Um, So I think that our default will be once we get to a place to really kind of mine what's there on foot. So what's your so you talk about traveling between, you know, Kangir to Fez, Rabat, Casablanca, Marrakesh, you cover a lot of earth here. What is your primary mode of transportation? Are you renting a car? Are you taking public transport? What's what's the goal? Yeah, generally when we're in a in a region, we will be relying on buses and trains. Um, and and some of that I think will be geared toward tourists, depending on where we are, and some of it will be more local infrastructure. Um, but 
you know, we'll, our, our aim is to fly between kind of the clusters and then use public tr- transportation within. And we've talked about a few spots where we may end up renting a car, for example, in, in Southern Africa, we may do a loop with a right. rental. Um, but overall, that that's our... Yeah, and I think that's interesting. It's an American thing, right? You you, you say to a, a typical American that we use public transportation, they kind of they they clutch their pearls. How could you do that? It's because we have no public transportation here, really, of any real merit or worth, as compared to the rest of the world. Whereas the Moroccos of the world, you know, we saw it ourselves when we were overseas. We were in Scotland. We saw things like that. Like their public transportation exists is so much more robust in other parts of the world that the idea of a family of four moving through buses and trains. It's not surprising there. There's going to be that infrastructure around there. Um, have you done any advanced work to sort of get an understanding of how those systems work in terms of the languages, the the currency, the schedule? Have you done all of that? And and I'm gonna I'm gonna share my 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 East Coast America sort of ignorance. How much of that is paper based versus app based? Like, do you now have like Morocco app where you're gonna be able to purchase all that through the phone, or is it all gonna be still paper tickets? Like, how does it work there, in Morocco? Stuck. So, so to be honest, still working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that honestly, to some degree, both life and then things in the Middle East, to some degree, frankly, paralyzed us a bit for a couple of months. Um, and and that's not just the, what's gone on in the Middle East for the past month and a half, but you know, I think just um, various other life commitments, things, other things that we were really focused on in the summertime and such. Um, I think we were anticipating. I was anticipating doing a lot more of that kind of legwork this fall. And then, you know, things obviously um, unraveled in Israel. And that really just kind of, we had a lot of very intensive conversations about like, what do we do with planning? And, you know, do we make decisions now? Do we wait? And we kind of gravitated toward, we're going to be relatively cautious about this, but let's wait and give it some time. And we had the flexibility to, I mean, we still have flexibility. We have a flight to Portugal booked and we have, you know, basically kind of our trip more or less mapped out in through spreadsheet form. <laughs> kind of like late December um, and then several more weeks of time in Morocco before we have to decide anything. I think we're going to decide before then. So yeah, we're still figuring some of that out. Um, I can tell you my initial kind of research around Morocco has been a mixture of, um, I think things are much more bookable than they used to be. You know, I was just looking at booking kind of a, a bus that, Last time I traveled in the developing world was definitely a, you got to show up at the bus station right. and get your ticket. And uh, now it looks like the kind of thing you can reserve online. Um, you know, I just, I think I also, it's going to be a great experience for me in that, like, I, I really loved traveling kind of in that local fashion in places like mm-hmm. Kenya and Botswana, um, Peru, where you find the local minibus station where everyone just gets on, right? right. And literally people sometimes hanging out of the doors, literally, um, yeah. sometimes in Kenya. And you find those systems. But, like, I don't know. I think a lot of that still does exist. Um, right. But uh, that's not something you tend to figure out until you get there. What are you doing for accommodations? Are you going to wait till you get to a city to book a room? Are you going to book a room in advance? I mean, the idea of, 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 a, of a couple right, who's used to sleeping outside, sleeping at a bus station is not a big deal at all. The yeah. fact that you have a nine, nine and a half year old and a four and a half year old, it, the stakes get, a stake sounds dramatic, but like it's much more aggravating to have to manage two little people in a bus station overnight than in a hotel room. <laughs> so what are you yeah. doing there? 
You know, we've ended up booking the first couple of weeks in Morocco. And I think part of that is because it's over the holidays. So we want to make sure, you know, it is an area that is um, that that brings in tourism and we want to make sure there's um, places for us to. to gotcha. um, I think as we and then once we leave Morocco, we don't know exactly what route we're taking. So I think once we have a clearer picture of what the line of travel will be, we'll probably book out a couple of weeks, but I don't anticipate unless there's a, you know, like Zoe's birthday is in April and she really wants to go on safari for her birthday. So that's something we would, right. you know, book out in advance. And if there's other um, experiences like that, we may add those onto mm-hmm. the calendar. But beyond that, I think, I think we're probably looking at a couple of weeks in advance. Yeah. I think it is tough also, you know, I think one of the, I was alluded to this earlier, I would love to pick a time where we can arrive to a big city, a place where you're very unlikely to find yourself out of a bed, mm-hmm. but a place where there's a lot of options and get off the train or the boat or the plane, whatever, without anything and really involve Zoe in the process of figuring out like right. where we're going to stay and, right. you know, do the old fashioned walk around. So you find a place with beds that said <clears throat> family of four, finding a a spot where four people can be accommodated becomes much harder if you're Mm -hmm. doing it the traditional old fashioned way of, you know, hotels and hostels, you know, once you get into Airbnb and things like booking.com, which I think is a, the big one we're going to be using for financial reasons, they've got a pretty great um, kind of basically member program through booking.com. But, um, you know, finding an apartment, that's not so hard, I think, but finding the hostel that's got a room for four people, that can get challenging. So, right. right. Yeah. It, that the old fashioned walk around till you find a, a room with a, you know, or a place with an open double, like that was easy. Yeah. Find yeah I did bed. that when I flew to Bergen, Norway, I flew to Bergen, Norway and got off the yeah. plane and took the, the train to city center and walked around till I found a hostel. Right. Yeah. right. And we've and done that in lots of cities and it's worked really well. Right. Um, right. But- and it's also like, I mean, it's so much fun, right? You get off the, the bus you walk around and sometimes you spend all day doing that before you find mm-hmm. the place where you're going to stay and you're mm-hmm. lugging your bag and you're stopping for food and drink here and there. And you end up seeing 15 miles of the city before you actually find a bed. Right. We can't do that with a four-year-old. No, no, <laughs> no. I think, I think psychologically and emotionally too, knowing that you can have a place to put, and I think we'll put Zoe in her own category, right? Cause we all know Zoe will have to realize that she's still nine, nine and a half years old nine and a half years old, but we recognize that she's very um, with it and very mature and very adult in many ways. And so she's closer to being a teenager, if you will, than being a, 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 a child needing a lot of care. Whereas Simon knows a little more. You know, she kind of vacillates between those spaces. Sure. I think yeah. this trip is going to tug on all elements of that. And gotcha. uh, there will be moments where she rises well above her nine years old, nine years and, and other moments where, you know, Simon may have an easier time. Yeah. Um, for one reason or another. So I, I think all of us will will be our best and worst selves with each other on this trip. Sure. And that's part of the deal going into it, right? You realize you're gonna you're gonna see every single human emotion most likely will will pass through over these next several months. Okay, so, so Morocco is Morocco, right? So we talk about Morocco, family in Portugal and Spain. You go to Morocco, you're there for several weeks. You you you've you've listed a lot of the big cities. If I'm a betting man, you're probably gonna get towards the Atlas Mountains a little bit. You want to walk around outside, see the big mountains. Now <clears throat> Middle East is taken off the table for very good reasons. Now you're talking about the idea of Asia. Now, have 
have, have all of the various life demands and getting ready for Morocco, has that pushed Asia off the schedule in terms of where you're going in Asia? Or do you, or are you going to go into that kind of a blinder? Like what is like, where does Asia kind of fall on this? Or are you just going to say, listen, we have a chunk of time from Morocco to we want to be back in Africa. And inside that chunk of time, we're just going to figure out Asia. Like where, where, where are you falling on that? Yeah. So the countries that we have talked most concretely about are Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, and Nepal. Um, and we've looked a little bit about when the rainy season is, when the temperatures go up. And so we know that Nepal will probably be toward the end of mm -hmm. those few months and Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand will be kind of the first chunk mm -hmm. of it. Bangkok is a pretty easy hub to fly into. So mm -hmm. there's a reasonable chance we'll, we'll start in Thailand um, but we haven't gotten much beyond that other than, you know, reading some Lonely Planet highlights reels of, oh, my gosh, these places look absolutely incredible. Um, Vietnam and Cambodia have have been at the top of my travel bucket list since I was like a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I have lots of pictures in my head of what I want to do there. And I think some of that will be actualized and some of it will be too ambitious with two little kids. Um, I, have to tell you, I just went to, I'm on Google maps and I punched the, you know, Google maps, you could hit the little guy and you could drop him onto the blue line and you could sort of, they'll show you there. It's amazing how, when you go to Google maps, Thailand, hit the little guy, how all of Thailand has basically been, been Google street mapped. Like it, it took my breath away a little bit right now. Like how much of it is, has been covered. Like it's holy cow. Yeah. Um, interesting. that's really something else that speaks to the kind of the, the country going into the, the population density is going to be higher. Um, it's amazing how Thailand is completely mapped and Laos is barely mapped. Mm. Yeah. That doesn't surprise mm. me actually, given the, the history of it. Right. Yeah. In Cambodia, but Vietnam, not really that mapped, but like, wow, Thailand is, unless I'm doing it wrong and it's, maybe there's another way of doing it, but still, holy cow. Right. And so the idea, okay, so you're going to go into Thailand and obviously for those without a map in front of them, Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam kind of live in a cluster. In literally in Southeast Asia, right? And there's a tremendous opportunity of, of so many places to see things to do. Um, continuing real quickly on the, the Google mapping, uh, barely any part of China is Google mapped, obviously, right? They're mm -hmm. not gonna, um, and Myanmar is barely Google mapped, yeah. but Thailand, Cambodia, um, and then India is, it's all over India and Nepal barely, just Kathmandu. Yeah. So, so, that, so that's interesting. So that's an interesting sort of comment on what where you're gonna where you experience right the idea where where there's population clusters where the technology exists things like that um you mentioned bangkok now have you gone thailand is a, is a massive country right and and bangkok is just one little piece of it have you thought about other parts of thailand you want to get to so far like phuket is very very popular i know that's that's the place to go um what other parts have you thought about I have had a number of people recently as we've been in this, well, we don't know exactly where we're going, recommend specific mm -hmm. um, sites in Thailand. Um, there's apparently this amazing rock climbing spot down in Southern Thailand, right off the coast. Um, there was, and I'm, I'm blanking on the specific details of this, but there was something, um, there was this, there's this museum that emerged out of the, the war in Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. the extended conflict in Southeast Asia that an American service member started this museum. And it is this just collection of furniture from all over the region. And somebody was like, you have to go there. I, I don't know if we'll end up there, but you know, I'm, I like when people say, check this out. And that usually kind of points you in 12 other directions. Well, that's part of the deal, right? Part of the deal is to get on, uh, is talk to either someone who's been there themselves or who's from there and say, listen, like 
Where, where should I go today? It's it's not unlike, you know, and, and this, this gets my friend Jim crazy. We go to a restaurant and I say to the waitress, bring me the most popular item. And whatever it is, it's I'm going to consume it, right? There's You, you had to leave your fate up to the, the local population. Let them see what you're going to do there. And and so with, with Thailand and, and that part of the trip, like, I, I get the feeling that because this is so new to you, like, like you've been to Africa, right? And, well, and, and Morocco is Morocco and... and like the, like this feels like a bigger bite for, for that you guys are biting off here in terms of Asia and Bangkok and Thailand. So what are your what are your thoughts going into that, into that part of the trip? Is it are you settling into the older mode of, like we've done this before, we've been around the world and we're good, we'll figure it out? Or does are there any new challenges that you're expecting to see in Asia? I think yes and yes. Like okay. I, I think that I mean. The pivot toward Asia really has only firmed up in the last maybe two weeks or so. Two weeks. I mean, it's a holy cow. And with Thanksgiving thrown in there with all the other stuff and you had, yeah. you know, you had the stock I mean, fill like, and all that happening, right? So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Your questions about like, what are we thinking about? What we're going to do in those countries? We're like, oh, we, we really don't know. I mean, like there's one or two of the biggest sites that just about anyone that knows anything about those countries could probably name, right? Like Nepal, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to go to Kathmandu, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go to Everest Base Camp. It's too far. It's too <laughs> big of a commitment with kids. So we're not going to do that. So what are we going to do? We're not sure. But it's Nepal, and I'm sure there are absolutely amazing things there. And likewise in Cambodia, um, like we know we're going to go to the ruins um, to Angkor Wat. And actually, our teammate Joel was in the Peace Corps in Cambodia, and he is going to connect us with his host family. Um, at least to share a meal with them. So, and we've That's had a, a number of other friends reach out with connections in largely Cambodia, some Thailand also. Yeah. And that's just what's going to happen, right? You're going to, you're going to get in country, get on ground, start talking to people and connections are going to, there are connections you bring from America to there are connections that you make when you're there. And, yeah. and because you're so deeply embedded in the adventure racing community, like we're everywhere. Right. So I know yeah. for a fact that if you talk to Heidi Muller over at ARWS, she's going to know somebody somewhere to connect you with someone. She's also going to probably put you to work and have you plan a race while you're there. Like that kind of stuff. We're just hoping we can get tickets to the premiere of Arthur the King. Arthur the King. Yeah. Somewhere in that region. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's being, that's being well worked on, my friends. I'll tell you more <laughs> yeah. about that later on. We're going to uh, bit down the road on that one a little bit. Yeah. So, but, and so, so, can I, so it's funny because, like, talk about Asia now, like, you really have nothing to share right now because there's nothing um, to talk about. Like check, really back, don't. check back a little while. I'm like, listen, Brian, this is what we saw. We really don't. Like we had a really good handle on everything with the original itinerary. And and part of that is, you know, I, I had traveled myself in Egypt and Israel before and had mm-hmm. knew quite a bit about, you know, traveling in Morocco and Jordan just from having wanted to go there for so long. And I, you know, spent a lot of time reading about those countries and, you know, we have um, a lot of, I have a lot of like family and friend connections in Israel. And so we, we felt yeah. pretty grounded and in that region. Yeah. Yeah. We, we felt like we had a really good plan there. And now, you know, it's actually though, to some degree, it's maybe a little more stressful, but also kind of freeing. And I think, you know, we both agreed uh, a few weeks ago, uh, just that, you know, longer than a few weeks ago, but when we decided to kind of just pause on all planning and just see how things shook out, we were kind of like, you know, the nice thing about this is we can just, just roll with it. Well, and there's sounds- also, too, is you're, you're saying, and this is my impression, you're saying Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Nepal, because that's what you say sitting in your apartment, in your house in America, because that's the, you don't know what you don't know yet. And so you're ticking off, well, of course, we're going to go to those places. Right. But in reality, for all you know, 
you could get into Thailand and you could hear about this really great thing going on in insert country name here. And you could just sort of say, listen, we've heard about this thing. We're going to go to here. We're going to go there. So, I mean, it sounds like the, you know, you know, or there's well, like a ferry to Singapore that we could right. jump on, you know, like right. there's, there's the, the region has so many access points. Right. That- right. Well, exactly. Right. And they all sort of spring off each other. You forget how, you know, once again, with our, with our very, very Western American center, we forget how easy those, those countries are to travel to each other. It's, it's almost like how easy to travel between like Germany, Italy, and France on steroids. Like mm-hmm. it's so much more easier to travel there. Yeah. Um, talk to me a bit about the idea of, um, um, I'm going to use the word safety, but I don't really mean safety, but the idea like of, of personal care. Like, are you, do you work with like a, like a global recovery service? Do you have the travel insurance if someone gets sick? Like, what have you done? World nomads. Like, what do you, from a logistical perspective, have you set that up? We're working on it. Okay. <laughs> you figure the couple of weeks in Europe gives us, you know, yeah, a it's true. Yeah. You're really not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Part and there's no need to begin that contract earlier than you have to. Yeah. And part of that, honestly, for anyone that's listening, chastising us for not being more on top of it, you know, a lot of those, those, those plans, they have maximum amounts of time you can sign up for. And most of those that I have found that seem like kind of the the serious contenders for us to commit to are at most 180 days. And we're looking at a roughly 220 day trip. So, you know, we really like signing up now when you kind of roll the odds, isn't, you know, kind of look at the the, the different places we're going. It doesn't make that much sense. So yeah, we're rolling with it. Um, We have two world nomads is one. And then um, my, you know, my health insurance through work has a global um, plan that you can Mm -hmm. add on, which I think is, is what we're going to end up doing. And um, we have all that mapped out. We just have to, you know, get the quote. Um, yeah. yeah. And we've gotten almost all of the vaccines we need already. Um, well, we thought we had all of them. Right. Moving to Asia adds what, one more. What have you gone with? What, what, oh, what vaccines are you doing? Co- cholera, <laughs> rabies, the whole nine yards. Rabies, typhoid, yellow, yellow fever. Um, I got polio. Polio, meningitis. Yeah, COVID flu, COVID, mm-hmm. those things. We didn't get um, cholera because it seemed localized enough that it was something we could figure out as we went. We do have gotcha. antibiotics. The one that if we end up in Southeast Asia, we will need to get while we're before we go is um, Japanese encephalitis. Okay. Um, but we have friends that were recently traveling overland through through actually throughout the world and um they use who clinics for yep. vaccines yep. so we we're getting some information from them on that very robust vaccine clinics around the world they're they're not far so so there's three segments of the trip in my head right there's the i'm going to call it the western segment if you will which is going to be portugal spain and morocco then there's the asian segment which i'm calling thailand cambodia vietnam and nepal and then there's going to be the African segment, right? So in my head, as we as we talk over these next several months, I'm breaking this down to three parts of your trip. What's the African segment? Um, we will probably fly into Dar es Salaam and travel in Tanzania and Rwanda. Um, we may end up in Zanzibar. Um, yeah, in that in that cluster, and then fly down to some combination of Namibia, Botswana, and South Africa. Um, we are at, at this point anticipating actually doing a race in Namibia in late May. Um, so that will be kind of the anchor of that part of the trip. And we gotcha. will so that, That's the centering point for you that you're going to get down there eventually. That's where you're going to be. Um, so as I, as I look at the map here, where I'm assuming you're flying into 
Africa, right? You said Tanzania, Dar es Salaam. I see that right here. Rwanda, going overland or flying down to to South Africa? I'm assuming we're going to fly Kigali down to one of the three countries to be determined. Got it. Um, but I suspect either Botswana or direct into Namibia. Um, I suspect Namibia, honestly. Um, I did a study abroad program in Botswana, um, and I think there's a decent chance we passed through there. Um, I also have been, you know, feeling a very strong desire. I think you alluded to this earlier to do things that are are new selfishly, you know, mm-hmm. so in a way that trip reconfiguration is is exciting for me because the the prior version had the potential of a lot more overlap with places I've experienced before. Um, That's the first time I've heard you say that. Yeah, well, I'm saying it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking out loud on the, on the, on the, on the voice outside your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, and, and Heidi had kind of given us a couple of recommendations for some spots in Namibia that um, would be cool to check out kind of on our own. So I think we're going to... Heidi, who is a friend and the co-race director of the event yeah. and the head of the Adventure Racing World Series. So she's pretty well plugged into the region. So, yeah, I think trying to do that. And then we're probably going to end mostly in South Africa for the, the last month of the trip. And then uh, we actually have a small detour, most likely through Senegal um, on the way home. I have a, a good friend from high school who has been living there for a few years. He works in public health and uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he kind of encouraged us to come visit him. And we had wanted to do that when we were up north in Morocco, but it's actually a lot harder from a financial standpoint to get from Morocco down to Senegal, even though they're a stone's throw away from each other, than it would be to do it at the end of the trip once we leave South Africa. So yeah, I think it looks like probably the flight, the the flight you'd have to catch. It's there's no direct flights between Casablanca and and Dakar. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty much exactly it. Um, so for a fraction of the cost, we can fly Johannesburg to Dakar at the end of the trip. And that's it. they 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 live in Dakar and have a an yeah. apartment there, and so. so we can spend that week with them and then head home. Yeah, yeah. So so that's the third part of the trip. We're gonna we'll talk more about Africa as that firms up, right? Because we have to get through. We have to, we have to do to Portugal, Spain, and then Morocco, and then we have to head over to Asia. When we each time we have this talk, I'm going to finish up with, I'm going to ask you the same questions each time. Right. So we'll so get back as we go. <laughs> well, well, but I want to, but it's also what they're reflective questions. Like, are you getting them now? And then you're going to have to think about, well, Brian's going to ask us about this. So let me, so, so these questions right now, like the, are, are a little, um, you haven't done it yet. Right. So it's hard to talk about something you haven't done yet. Right. It's all theoretical, but, but one question I'm going to ask you um, is when you look at the trip so far, what's one thing that you've done right so far? It's a great question. Hmm. Um, I think we communi- we have communicated well with each other because um, we haven't agreed on everything. And as Bren alluded to, we have slightly different kind of styles of life that that often are complementary and sometimes come into conflict. And we have worked pretty hard in the planning and preparation with each other and with ourselves and with the kids to find find at least a language for everything, if not a common ground at every step of the way. Gotcha. The idea of open communication, discussion back and forth, figuring out together, like navigating that, which by the way, you're navigating now in the comfort of your home with full bellies and good night sleeps for the most part, that, that will and get an, smaller. And an Eagles win too. And an Eagles win, huge Eagles win today, by the way, huge hold, by the way, the, the guard held them at the last play, but that's okay. Then we'll ignore that. I think also I would just add 
yes to all of that. And we've also, I think, done a good job of turning it off. You know, I think that, you know, we've been talking about doing this since last spring. And, you know, last spring was when this all really firmed up. I don't even remember when, March, April. I found out about that. I, I'm on a research sabbatical, which is right. uh, was the impetus for beginning planning. And that was in March. Yeah. So, you know, basically, I think April, I got the green light from my uh, school that I could take the year off and they would hold my place uh, for me to come back. Um you know, and I think for obvious reasons, sometimes like everyone wants to just talk about it. Uh, and probably Abby and I want to talk about it the most, but it became really clear really quickly back in the spring that that was not going to work for our kids, especially really for Zoe. Um, and then this fall with some of the, you know, the tensions over the Middle East, it became clear for Abby and me that like, it would be very easy to, to just sit and process about how this would affect everything, but it wouldn't be healthy. So I think that balance of communication, but also like recognizing, you know what, we have to also just focus on our daily lives and not get sucked up in all this. Gotcha. Gotcha. And the idea too, that you and your, your answer there also the idea that you're practicing macro flexibility. Like now you're discussing like countries to visit, which is as big as it gets. And then eventually that's going to be like it's pounds that the flexibility gets even more micro as you get further now we're going to make a right or make a left so that's what we got to do there exactly exactly so 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 that's what you've done right so far what would you redo if you wind the clock back what what do you what do you wish you had you had done a better job doing I, i think it is also communication but it's communicating with the other people in our lives about what this trip is and what it isn't and how, um, you know, like we, we have an incredibly deep and rich community in Philly and, and around the the region. And I think just, just kind of defining it that like, this isn't us looking to escape that this isn't us looking to up- upset that or, or disrupt that. It's just really a, a, chunk of time that we are taking to explore the world and and we're excited to come back to that community and to reinsert ourselves and and we will undoubtedly be a little bit different when we gotcha. come back and and their lives will continue on but um I don't think we at every step have done a good job with every single person in our lives communicating what the trip is interesting interesting and I think what you're saying there is uh, aside from the, their perceptions of the trip and how it's going that right now there's a window open in your lives and you're, you've, you've chosen to, to to step through it right there's a, a doorway where you have a, you have you have the capacity to go you have all the all the things that you need to check off in that box are existing so you're taking advantage of this amount of time and you're going to go do your thing and to your point not everybody has kind of grasped that as the why are they doing that so I think that's an interesting point to make in and I'm sure, you know, you know, relatives being relatives, family being family, the idea of of your loved ones were about their loved ones going overseas. And it's a tumultuous world that we live in. It's always tumultuous, right? It's been tumultuous for millennial. But it's the idea like it's there's probably some acute concerns that some people are having regarding safety and travel and all of that. And so they have to kind of wrap their heads around that. So I get that. Um, different so, so I do. Right? Yeah, yeah. I I would say I'll I'll go much more logistical. I think we waited too long to start packing. <laughs> you know, to be to be honest, like I think it was like last. Well, when are you leaving? Are you leaving tomorrow morning? We leave tomorrow Afternoon. Morning. We have yeah. like um, seventeen hours, Brian. Yeah. How much stuff are you taking? Like 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 the idea of like four people traveling. It's and it's seven yeah. months. Am I correct? The trip is seven months. So yeah. four people traveling to three parts of the world. Um, rough count. I'm looking at one, two, three four, five, six, 
seven, eight, nine countries to start. Yeah. Four people, nine countries, seven months. Is it all going to fit the backpack? Uh, four it, backpacks it does. and a shoulder computer bag. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. The goal is yeah. like, like we're mobile. Well, yeah. we're, we got we're it. Good. Like that's good. But, but, that's, but that's the goal. But you're not bringing like, you're not carrying suitcases. Like if no. need be, it could be all right, team. Like we got our shit together here. Let's go. We're getting like, we're moving. Right. You're that's not. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We have. So, um, you know, so I'm, I mean, really, so what I want to do on, on the topic is, and you may not have done, so I'm going to hound you for a packing list. I think the people who listen yeah. to this will find it interesting. What, what, what does a family of four bring for a seven month trip that fits into four backpacks? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I spent probably a week or two, um, starting on my own off the top of my head. And then I, I just went through a lot of people's packing lists online, you know, people that do travel blogs, that kind of thing. And, you know, like, grab some things that I had not thought of or had forgotten from past days of backpacking and left some off intentionally where I just said, that's great, but we're not going to carry that. Um, and kind of built what I felt like was a really good, solid master list for us, knowing that of course, we're going to find ourselves without something we want at some point. And we probably have one or two things we don't actually need, but I, but my gut is we don't have much that we won't actually use. Um, the thing I've been laughing about, Brian, you'll appreciate this. Some people listening to this will get this who are adventure racers. You know, when we do a big multi-day race overseas, we travel with, uh, each travel with a big duffel bag and a bike box combined, usually, uh, hundred to 110 pounds, depending on the flight's weight allowances. Plus a backpack, plus a backpack on the plane. Right. Plus carry on. Um, my guess, we've not really weighed everything officially, but my guess is all four of ours gear put together for the whole trip might clock in at 120 pounds. For four people. For yeah. four people. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, the the thing so that I would... So, so just for perspective, that's a 30-pound pack, right? If you think about it, right? On average, 30 pounds well, per but, person. But, you know, Simon's pack Simon, Right. But I'm saying, but, pounds, but in general, so. like, the idea, like, the fact that you get it down to... Simon and Simon, the fact that you're averaging 30 pounds per human, right, is basically what you would you would leave on for a, a, like we I did yeah. a race called the East Mountains Wilderness Challenge, and my pack was 26 pounds for a race. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We I think Abby and I are probably going to each end up with roughly 40 to 50 pounds on our body, and then the kids will probably be carrying five to 10. You mm-hmm. know, each depending on various factors. But so logistics, um, what are you putting in hyperlights? No, 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 no. So we actually, um, Abby and I both, I think Abby bought a, I think you bought a 70, originally a 70 liter yeah. Gregory pack. Like and, a true um, backpacking a pack. A true backpack. Yeah, you're not, this isn't, okay. No. Yeah, you're stepping with the adventure racing part of it. Okay. You know, and I, I picked out an 80 liter Osprey, super excited. Both packs seemed great. And we did, uh, you know, we spent a couple of weeks, not like we waited till yesterday to start packing, but we spent a couple of weeks just gathering all of our gear, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, doing the last minute ordering of things that we needed to either add or upgrade or whatever. And, you know, about a week ago, um, we did our first real dry run of putting everything in said bags and we got it all in, but we had no room to spare. And it was one of those classic, like nothing felt like it was packed well, uh, in that, like, bulky felt heavy off. And, you know, like you unpack one thing and then the whole bag's blown up and you just had no flexibility. So I was like, I I need a bigger bag, you know? So I, I ordered a a hundred liter, um, Gregory, um, and that's about as big as you get. Um, and, uh, 
we repacked, I think two days ago mm -hmm. and that looks like it'll work. Um, but even then there's not, there's not a lot of room to spare. Yeah. Between our packs. So have you, um, this is a, uh, a parent question. Have, do either of your children have items, a doll, a blanket, a towel that is like code red for them? If that goes missing, you're going to be in deep trouble. Or if you yeah. separate your child from those things. So Zoe very smartly has decided that her her bear that she got when she was two, that mm -hmm. his name is Wiseman, mm -hmm. um, after one of her best buddies, um, is not going to make the trip because she would be devastated if Wiseman did not return. Simon does not have that foresight. <laughs> so he has two, like, you know, you know, ride or dies. Right. Um, he's he's, that's his boy. Right. We are keeping our fingers crossed that Lovey and Cal make the whole route we might have, have you, to sew air tags into both of them yes yeah, like sew them out but put sew them and close them have you have you have you done the move of purchasing similar looking items and hide them in your pack as a backup in case they get lost we thought about it it's not really feasible yeah, yeah. The, one of them is like not replaceable and the other one is only replaceable at in waterbury vermont <laughs> gotcha gotcha i have a vision that of uh you contacting a family member to, to overnight you to marrakesh uh, yeah, you know, one of his pals, but that but then you feel if it goes missing, it goes missing, right? It just is what yeah. it is, right? And there's, uh -huh. a, there's a time and a place there, and it's it's funny how that kind of I'm sure 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you didn't think about that, right? The idea of managing your child's, you know, dearly, you know, best friend in the whole world. Um, yeah. Other question I'm going to ask uh, that we're going to come down the road, and you probably don't have an answer for this just yet, but I want you to prep yourself. I am going to ask the two of you, what's the most impressive thing that you've seen or learned since the last time we spoke? Like what's been your wow moment? Like holy cow! Like this is, and the, and the reason why I'm 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 putting that question out there is I want to tilt you towards wonder. Like you travel a lot, you've seen large parts of the world, you've 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 done a lot of this, and you've you've verbalized the idea that this is this is a big trip, and you're going with your children, uh, that sort of stuff. But in many ways, you are travel veterans, and when yeah. you're a travel veteran, when you've seen things over and over again. You 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 become I'll use the word calloused, not right the word to use, but you know what I'm saying. So I definitely want you as you as you go through this experience to be able to verbalize the things that have made you kind of wow. Like that was mm. and it could be a good thing or a bad thing, right? That could be yeah. it could be an interaction that you remember, it could be a, a temple you saw, it could be a mountainside, it could be a lot of stuff. The yeah. kindness of a stranger, it could be a community. But I, I I'm definitely gonna encourage you to in the back of your mind. The idea, like, what's impressed you during the trip? I'm using the word impressed, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, I, I'll give you an answer, just since mm -hmm. we're doing it. Um, like you said, I, this is not so much something I've learned, except it, it's more of a reminder. So, you know, we were all, I think, on an upward trajectory going into early last week of getting excited, right? Mm -hmm. We're packing, mm -hmm. we're, we're making some more definitive plans, we're getting our backpack set. Everyone's getting psyched. School's about to end. The kids are excited about that. School ends on Tuesday. We're all like kind of mile high. And the wheels just started coming off emotionally. for Zoe emotionally, mm -hmm. which affected all of us, you know? And mm -hmm. it was that kind of like eye-opening reminder, right, of how up and down this experience is going to be. And we, we've known that abstractly, right? But like to see it unfolding before we're even there. Um, and it's just been a series of steep declines. So it feels like she maybe has stabilized. I think she is stabilized. Yeah. And just to make it clear, like it's her, you know, saying goodbye to the dog. It's her saying goodbye to family members. It's her, you know, 
recognizing, I think astutely, that her friends' lives are going to continue without her. And that doesn't mean when she comes back, she won't rejoin, but mm-hmm. she's worried about that. And and as somebody who is is equally kind of like community focused and draws a lot of energy from my friends and family, mm-hmm. like I, I'm feeling some of that too. Sure. Um, so I, I empathize deeply with, with where she is. Simon and his, you know, four-year-old wisdom this morning, we were saying goodbye to a friend and, you know, getting a little teary and Simon looks at us and he goes, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Relax, big guy. Like, we'll be back. Well, because kids have really no sense of time, right? Yeah. So if in his world, it's like, we'll be back tomorrow. Like he doesn't know to watch, right? He doesn't really know how that works. And so to your point, like that's, yeah. And and so the idea of the separation and recognizing that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a trip that is ultimately temporary in nature. It's still a tremendous bite out of life that you're taking. Right. And so you're you're seeing that. Right. That's the that's the 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 thing you're seeing there. Uh, Another question I'm going to ask you every time is, is what perception of yours has changed since the last time we spoke? Like the fact that you're going to you're going to Morocco and and I don't want I don't want to turn out Portugal and Spain. You're going to you're going in with these preconceived notions. and You thought it was going to be one thing and it was another. You you know, that a common question I like to ask adventure racers during interviews is, is the race you're having the the race that you were going to have. And I'm curious about that, too, the idea that you. Like, like, what have you, what is different now as a result of your, of, of your experience, right? So the, the impressive question is more about the idea, like, of tilting towards wonder, perceptions about personal transformation and how you're changing along the way. Um, and then, obviously, I'll always ask you, too, um, my last question will be, are there any questions that I didn't ask that you wish that I did, right? Is there a thing that you really want to talk about that, Brian, I thought we talked about this thing and it never came up, but I always want to open up the window that that you have full liberty to bring those things up and say, hey, Brian, I thought we were going to talk about this. And so let me close with that now. Are there, is there anything that I didn't bring up here that you thought I was going to ask you about or that you want to talk about? That's the last question I ask in every oral history interview mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> hmm. I don't think so. I mean, I think the... Um... I think the only, I mean, obviously we're, we're pre-trip. There's not a ton to talk about outside of like buying gear, getting shots, right. You know, figuring out. Now it's all logistics now. It's all just yeah. logistics. You know, I, I think like for us, frankly, the thing that became the hardest issue was our house. You know, like we were really hopeful that we'd be able to kind of rent our house out and that that would uh, be part of our economic puzzle for the year. Mm-hmm. And it just never came together. And I think just the timing of our trip's a little awkward. You know, it's uh, had it been for a whole school year, I think we would have had no trouble finding a renter uh, on the academic calendar. Um, bit of a unicorn, right? Someone who has those months off, they're free. They want to come to Philadelphia. It's it's yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not it's not perfect timing. Yeah, so we've actually ended up with a friend and and rootstock kind of member of the rootstock community who's going to be staying at our house and doing some kind of in kind work on it. Um, in exchange for rent. So, so I think it works out well for all of us kind of circumstantially yeah. and yeah. and we know Good. the person staying here and he'll be closing down the Ford and, you know, we trust him. And so yeah, I think you're, yeah, you're going you're, you're to put a lock in a bedroom or lock all your valuable stuff up in a room, right? right? The idea that you get to sort of hand the key over and walk out the door, which we can't, we, we can't underscore how important that is. That, yeah. That's, that's all that you have to do there. Yeah. yeah. And we were able to store both of our cars, you know, at friends' houses who have, you know, we live in, in a city and we park on, on a residential street, but we were able to store our cars at friends' houses who have driveways. And so all of the kind of like the things that we keep adding to the checklist are being crossed off now. 
Good, 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 good. Excellent. And just to just to record that, it is now uh, Sunday, November 26th at 10, 17 p.m. When is your flight again? 8.05 p.m. on November 27th. Very nice. So you are you're 22 hours away from flying. So you have a ton of time to finish your packing. Yeah, you just bought me five hours. I had said 17 hours like five minutes ago. There you go, listeners. Roaming Roots, Volume 1, Episode 1, done in the can. This is being uh, recorded a few weeks. Nope. Well, there you have it, folks. Roaming Roots, Episode 1, Volume 1, is there for your listening pleasure. Thank you to Brent and Abby and Zoe and Simon for giving us a peek into their world as they travel around the world for the next seven months. At this recording, they are safe and sound in Portugal, having a blast with the family. After this, it's off to Morocco, and then they are heading east. More to follow. Another episode is coming up in a week or so. So thanks for being here, and enjoy more episodes of Roaming Roots as they become available.